Hey everyone, welcome in to another daily editorial here on the KE Report. I'm getting an update from Silvercrest Metals, traded on the TSX under the symbol SIL, and on the NYSE under the symbol SILV. I am chatting with the president of Silvercrest Metals, Chris Ritchie. Now, Silvercrest Metals focused at the Las Chispas project, the mine, as I've talked about with Chris, up and running commercial production was announced late in 2022. We have a news release to get to that talks about fourth quarter annual operational results. But I also have some bigger picture questions to ask Chris for what the growth initiatives are for the company. What are some of the aspects of the company that separate Silvercrest from the wider silver stock market here? So Chris, first and foremost, Q4 numbers, more on year-end guidance. The company beat year-end guidance, especially in terms of sales. Just take us through the quick recap of Q4, but also the last year, how the mine was up and running, how it was operationally. Yeah, thanks, Corey. I mean, for, for our first full year of production, we couldn't be happier. I mean, we paid off $90 million of debt. We exited the year with about $100 million of cash and bullion. We beat our, our first year of guidance on that side. So for us, finishing the year like we did was great. From November 8th, when we put out our Q4 production numbers, not the financials, but the production, we added $200 million US to the value of the stock between that November 8th and the end of the year. So we were the, uh, we beat the SILJ, which is the silver ETF. We beat that by 15% last year, even even though we had that midsummer roller coaster ride with the tech report. So for our first full year of production, um, you know, a little rocky at times, but uh, a big outperformer rel- relative to the peer group. Now, what about guidance for this year? Because look, that's what markets seem to be so focused on through this whole earnings season. Even when we've seen production numbers out of the majors, everyone's wondering about guidance for this year. So what can you tell us? When will we see that? What insights can you give us? Sure. So we've been, as we talked about in the last news release, we're finishing up negotiating the the contract with our underground contractor. So it's a big contract. It's over five years. We need those specific details in order to figure out the exact details on our costs. So our, our guidance, uh, we expect to come out in about two weeks. There's been a bit of a fade in the stock, and I think it's for a couple of reasons. One, we had a really nice end of the year. I got a couple of nice Christmas cards saying thanks for the, the run-up. Some people did some profit-taking. But I think there's been also a push of being worried about our cost structure, given that our peers so far have, have come out with guidance, and a lot of them are taking up their, their costs quite materially. And what I point your attention to, Corey, is when you have low costs and your costs are up 50 cents or a dollar, okay, not great, but on a percentage of your margins basis, not nearly as impactful to us as someone else who's got $20 costs and their costs go up 10%, and that ends up being 80% of their margins, right? So again, I think there's a bit of anticipation that our costs might go up a little bit more than people think combined with the profit taking. So I think that's a bit of the malaise. But yeah, we're, we're going to come up with our guidance in the next couple of weeks here. I think people are also wondering about growth initiatives and circling back to that underground mine contract, those negotiations, how much could that change the overall economics? So in our previous contract that was that was written three years ago, our, our partner on that did not put any inflation into that contract. It was done at the depths of COVID. No one really was thinking about inflation. The contract now is something where we want a healthy partner. You know, our previous partner 
really got caught off guard by the inflation. They stopped making money. It, it makes for a bad partnership. When they're not making money, then there's risk, there's corners are cut, and those risks translated to us. So fixing this contract was something where it lowers our risk, it increases our predictability, might cost us a bit more, but again, having um, a contractor who's not doing great work, that costs you way more in the long run. So for us, again, when we have wide margins, a slight hit there um, is far less impactful. We're going to have the exact details with our guidance. I don't expect anything material coming out of the previous technical report till now, but what we're hoping for is just progressed ramp up, more tons getting on the stockpile, more flexibility in the mine plan, and just something that's going to be, a, you know, just better long-term for us. So, I mean, dovetailing that into the growth side of things, when you are looking at a mine plan, and for us, we needed to have a lot of understanding over what it was we were going to be mining in the next one to two years. So a lot of the drilling we've been doing is in and around the edges of material that we were already planning to mine because you'd hate to go around and mine this material and leave ounces behind, right? So it doesn't mean it's the sexiest stuff we're looking for. It doesn't mean it's the highest margin stuff that we have, but it's basically in or around infrastructure where we've already spent the money. It's in and around uh, areas we were gonna mine anyway it was just a, an order of operations priority that had to occur first. So that's been the area of focus. We, we have found some new tons and ounces. We, we are going to put it into the mine plan. It's not necessarily the biggest bang for your buck stuff, but it's incremental. And when you think about it from a return on invested capital, we're quite happy with it. And that had to go first. So now that we're kind of working through some of that, putting that into the mine plan, we can get back to looking for, um, from some of the new stuff that hopefully can really move the needle. So this sounds a lot in terms of locking in costs, having a better gauge of what your costs are going to be with your miner, but does it, could it improve overall production, say on a yearly basis? When you have more flexibility at a single asset mine, um, protecting what you currently have is, is step one. And then having the ability to be reactive to what's happening uh, is step two. So, I mean, we produced more ounces last year than the mine plan called for, right? So that just speaks to the increased flexibility, allowing us to increase the value we can share with the shareholders. So, yes, I, I do hope that that increased flexibility can translate into into strong and stable production. We'll start with that. And then over time, if you are finding more ounces in and around what it is you're mining, and then if you can keep sort of incrementally adding value as you go at low cost, that's kind of more the nature of, of this type of mining. And then as we say, we're going to dovetail that with looking for new new veins, added ounces, you know, trying to increase that mine life uh, in that manner. So again, the focus now was more just keep ramping up right? That's still a big part. Keep reducing risk, keep building up the stockpile, get those incremental ounces around the edges and just keep building up that balance sheet. When do you think we'll find out more information on some of the exploration that you have alluded to here in terms of building ounces, growing mine life, maybe even making other discoveries? When will we get more information on that this year? 
So again, we had the 10 million budget that we announced with the technical report last summer. And again, the focus of that was, you know, converting ounces we already have into the reserve category. So that would be incremental, right? So that's work we're doing. The focus on that again was in, in areas that we were already operating or, or soon to be operating. So that, that's something that mid 2024 will, you know, probably Q3 or so, we'll be looking to compile that data and, and pull that together. So that's sort of the near-term focus on that because that's the here and now. As it relates to a new budget that we're, we're finishing off as we speak, that is going to put us in a position to say, hey, here's our free cash flow. Here's the money. We're going to go look for a bunch of new uh, ounces and tons and, and look for that, that bigger growth. So that budget that we're working on now would be in uh, addition to the 10 million we announced in mid 2023 with the tech report. So the capital is there, the skill set's there. We're happy with what opportunities are in front of us on the property side. It's a little tricky with drilling because to be responsible with your drilling, you drill a few holes, wait for the results to come back, scratch your head, figure out what uh, what it is you, you hit or didn't hit, and then figure out the next set of plans from there. So it does take some time and sometimes you get pulled away to, a, ooh, this looks interesting over here, and you, you're coming back and forth. So it's hard to get pinned down on specific timelines. But the budget we had for last year, we spent a healthy chunk of that, and then we're going to have a new budget here. So now they the ramp up well underway. We're hoping, well, we are going to be way more active in 2024, and then we'll see when we're able to actually come out with some news to share. Okay, let's talk about another differentiator strategy that the company has, and that's your strategy of holding bullion, but also minting coins too. You've sent me some pictures of the silver rounds that the company has produced. They look great. How does this strategy fit into, again, this whole differentiation plan that the company has? We've seen the costs in our space go up dramatically, and we're a capitally intensive industry that takes an awfully long time to build new supply. So, you know, when you do the math, if you're not making much money today, which is what most of the peers are, are unfortunately experiencing, selling your ounce for a dollar, exposing that dollar to inflation for 15, 20 years, which is a typical time frame to build a new mine, and then having the risk of whether or not you found a new mine. So if you're not making much money today, uh, what makes you think you're going to make a lot of money in the future? And the irony there is that while you're waiting to reallocate your money over 15, 20 years, guess what? Gold and silver have done a far better job of protecting your purchasing power than fiat currency has. So we believe that gold and silver is a better store of value uh, while we wait to reallocate it, while giving our investors more exposure to the metal, which doesn't have risk to it because it's already been mined. And this is a really small sector. I mean, if you took... 1% of all the foreign reserves that the BRIC countries had um, in their treasury, just 1%. And we know they don't want to buy more dollars. And if you converted that 1% to gold, it would be 20% of the annual mine supply, right? In the silver space, it's even smaller. If you took the, the 500 million ounces that are not consumed industrially, two days of trading of Apple stock would buy up all of the non-consumed silver inventory. So for the gold and silver space, just to hold back, you know, five, 10% of their balance sheet in metal, not only are you protecting yourself from inflation, you're eating some of your own cooking, you're reducing supply. 
And when people talk about financial manipulation of gold and silver, they sort of ignore the fact that, you know, the producers are selling ounces when they're not making a fantastic return at times. So we're, we're part of the problem and we want to innovate. We want to change. We want to fight the good fight. So part of this marketing to the distributors isn't that we're making uh, much value here. It's a chance to showcase how we are trying to fight that fight. So for example, you know, one of the distributors or the one distributor we're currently working with, we're willing to work with others, um, has about three to 4 million customers and they're dedicated buyers of gold and silver, you know, so for us to showcase our product on their website, to educate people that we're doing something different. And if we get rewarded, if we get rewarded by a bunch of their purchasers of metal by a couple shares of ours and the rest of our industry says, huh, Silvercrest is being rewarded in their share price by, for holding back gold and silver, maybe we should do it, right? And we can be the solution. You know, the product is the solution, we like to say. So uh, for me, this is an educational campaign. It's a call to action. It's, it's us trying to fight that fight. So it, it's sort of a longer term game, but we have about 27,000 retail investors. And if you think about that three to 4 million customers that, that one partner we're working with, if 1% of their customer base buy a few shares, uh, we'd be more than doubling the number of shareholders we have. So I know, Corey, we chatted about this before the call, but we saw a data point the other day saying that from 2010 till today, dedicated mining investors, the assets under management that they, they currently manage has dropped by over 80%. So not only are we happy to have a balance sheet, not only are we happy not to be needing to raise money, we know that you know going to retail and, and providing a differentiated you know, opportunity for them with lower risk is something where it's going to give us a better chance at winning more, over more shareholders. So it's time for change, right? And, and we want to work with these distributors to get a better deal for our investors. And, and over time, Corey, too, these distributors, where are they getting their metal from? You know, they're getting their metal from producers. And guess what? They're making more margin post-production than we are because we're selling it immediately as an industry. Why can't we capture some of that margin? Why can't we vertically integrate down the road? So these are things we're trying to fight for change and we're trying to educate people on what's, what's possible out there for our industry to do. And it starts with putting your hand up and acknowledging that we are part of the problem as well. And we need, yeah, we need to do something different. So we're trying. Chris, I'll give you credit on that because this does sound multifold in how it's a marketing plan. It's also getting your product out there, but it's also securing, as you said, uh, some of these buyers of the metal that comes out of the mine it is still early on for the company. So how do you, how do we as investors gauge success of this strategy? The first thing that this started with is that because we have healthy margins, because we have free cash flow, it means we have choice. And then all of a sudden we were scratching our heads going, okay, what, what does this choice provide us with? And examining those opportunities we owed it to our investors to examine opportunities. I mean, I have some investors saying, it's not your job to hold metal, just go build new mines. And I'm like, hold on, you know, there's, when, when prices are really weak, why would I want to sell my ounces? If prices are really high later on, I'll happily sell my ounces if I make a proper return. But it's being able to manage cycles that is very different and it's unique. And we have that choice. Not a lot of other people have that choice. And that's why I don't think it's talked about very much because most people can't do what we're doing. So, 
you know, a big part of our NCIB earlier this, or, you know, mid last year was our stock was really weak. Well, let's give investors some confidence. Let's buy back some shares. Well, if the metal price is weak, hey, we don't have to sell it all, right? And I would love for the whole industry to get better. And if it's each company holding one or 2% of their balance sheet in gold and silver, over time, it's going to add up and it's going to help the price. It's going to help our cash flows. It's going to give people more flexibility, which is going to draw in more investors as opposed to have investors leaving the space. So to me, this is, this is something that, again, we, we need to examine ways to fix the challenges in our business. We, we need to add value post-production, you know, and, and that vertical integration is something that I think the industry can fix over the long term. But for now, we just want to fight that fight and hopefully we get rewarded for fighting that fight, which, again, forces everybody to listen. And again, if they, they get in the game, we'll, we'll share all our information. We'll, we'll, we'll be part of the solution alongside of our peers, right? We're not competing with them uh, in that respect. We're just competing with them for the attention of the investors for now. All right, Chris, thank you very much for this update. I'll post a link to the Silvercrest website. And please, everyone, send me your questions for Chris. I got a few questions on the back of those Q4 production results and the year-end production results. So keep them coming, and I'll keep getting Chris to address those for you. Chris, thanks again for your time. I'll follow up when we get some more news out of Silvercrest. Thanks, Corey.